it to you, and then I'm going to tell you right now because just kind of how that, uh, that all took. So 11.15 is fine. Okay. Okay? All right. Here we go. So it's a privilege to be here. We, uh, we're here to share a little bit of what God's been doing and through you and your partnership with us in France. I know Dylan has several people that you've sent out that are working in France, and uh, we're going to share with you... Uh, how you are discipling a new generation of leaders in France. Um, a little history is uh, we've been there about nine and a half years. We were sent out from small mountain towns in Colorado. And, and um, all our churches are in ski country USA, either in Glenwood and uh, Pagosa Springs and around here. So it kind of, when we, uh, when Teresa and I were adjusting to life in France, the, the one redeeming factor, easy to go, was I see a mountain out the window. So there's no place like home. It's just fine. So um, so what we do, we work in a camp and retreat center in the French Alps called Chantilly. And there's actually been a team from here three years ago that came to do one of our English camps. And uh, it was a privilege to have you guys come. And I don't know if anyone's here that came. I know we saw, maybe not. Yes, there's some familiar faces here. And um, we do a lot of things at a camp, retreat center, Bible school. A lot of things, some website design, cleaning toilets, fixing hedges, running outdoor programs. It's a little bit of everything. We have a team that we work with. But all that, what really gets us motivated is this, discipling a new generation of leaders. So when push comes to shove, this discipling, investing in young people's lives, young adults' lives, so that they become this new generation is what really inspires us. So uh, Teresa's going to share one way we do that. And then I'll share also. Um, so I love coming back here. <laughs> I, um, there, you know, in some ways I've only lived here for about five years of growing up, but this church was so influential in my, um, in my faith at that time. This is where I was baptized and um, where my faith really took root, I would say. And it, there's something about coming here that is just coming home. So it's wonderful to be here. And thank you so much for your partnership with, the partnership with us over 10 years. It's amazing to me. But about five years ago, in fall 2009, I sat in our main meeting room. Hey, can we um, actually, yeah. So this little grid, let me back up a little bit. This little grid that you see is kind of like a Jeopardy thing. And... Um, we're not going to talk about all of that this morning by any means. We're going to hit on two of them primarily. But if there's something up there that you see, that you go, hey, I wonder what, um, you know, why do they want to talk about breakfast? Or why do they want to talk about 60 years? Um, we're going to be out in the, in the foyer later. And feel free to come up and say, hey, what's that about? Because these are all things that we would love to share about. Um, and what I'm going to talk about right now is in the bottom right corner called Zoe. And... About five years ago, I was sitting on our main meeting room at Champfleury with about 60 women, and we were starting this ministry training program called the LifeSpring School of Ministry, and it was great. We had great teaching, and there was just one problem. It was all in English, and we were in France. So I went through this ministry training. It was six Saturdays spread over two years, and every time I went to class, I just came out and I went, wow, what great teaching. Too bad it's not in French. And from talking with some other women, knew that there were other women who had similar thoughts, um, similar feelings of, gosh, I just wish it was in French. 
Um, I don't think any of us really thought we were going to act on that, but it was there. So we get to the last session about a year and a half later, and I don't know if you guys have ever had a moment when you felt like God was nudging you and asking you to do something that you never, ever thought you were going to do. But that was me as I was sitting in that last day of classes as I felt the Lord really saying, you know, I would love for this to be in French, and um, I'd like you to kind of take some steps to make that happen. And God and I had a little argument there. Um, <laughs> as I said, well, you know, I've got a two-year-old and a two-month-old, and I'm barely hanging on to life as it is, and there's all these other women that would love to see this happen as well, and they're empty nesters, or they have high school kids, and, and they're managing life way better than I am. And um, God, I've only been in France for five years, and these women, they've been there for 25 years, and they know the culture in ways that I don't. And we got to the last one, I said, and God, don't you know, I'm not really passionate about women's ministry. Um, but we got to, the, got to the end of that, and um, if there's one thing that I want in my life, it's to be obedient. And so I said, okay, God, we'll pray about this. And a group of women, we started praying weekly um, just to see where the Lord would lead and really um, just prayed for a year. And then we started taking some steps, and I have had the opportunity to work with an amazing group of women on this project. But started researching teachers, researching what materials are available, had a book translated, and last October, not November, November 15th, um, this was us sitting in the same room with 70 women with French teaching starting a school of ministry in French. And so we're halfway through this school of ministry now, and it has been amazing to see these French women just soak up this teaching and come back and hear about them talking to each other. Here I'm grumbling a little bit about how much homework there is. Um, but hear them talking about what they're learning, about how excited they are to be able to use what they're learning. And so we, um, I and this, the whole team, just are kind of feel like we're along for the ride. And God is doing some amazing things in equipping women to be better able to serve him in their churches to be better able to serve him in their communities, to be a light. And so I hope that that would encourage you that that's one way that he is working to raise up a new generation of leaders, of people who want to serve in France. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Teresa. So, so Teresa and I had a long before we went to France, had a passion for experiential education and the outdoors. And yet we went to France hoping to do camping ministry, but holding that dream, that passion loosely, saying, I hope God opens doors for that. And yet we kind of protected it for a few years, the first few years. If I put that out there, somebody said, no, that never works in France or something like that. So we protected it. A few years ago, I was journaling on my day of meditation trying to figure out what are we doing next after a few years in France we'd established ourselves been through internships what are we going to do while we're here and I wrote down this you know God what would be really fun is uh, would be really cool if you do a, a wilderness trip and then go straight into a missions trip just to go back to back and a wilderness trip really transforms young people's lives well missions trips as you well know we come back changed and transforms like the one-two punch, God, perfect, let's do that. A year later, I'm doing the same thing, and I decide to read my journal, and I find myself reading, you know what would be really cool, God? Zing, zing. 
And what had I done? Nothing. And I could just picture myself 10 years down the road going, you know what would be really cool, God, is if and coulda, shoulda, woulda would be, you know, hitting myself over. So I decided to, all right, it's now. We should do it now. A week later, I talked to a French pastor, Thierry, who I work with, threw out this idea, kind of heaved it out there, and two hours later, he comes back, I have seven students interested, what are we calling it, how much does it cost, and when are we doing it? <laughs> so God's timing. Uh, last time we were here, three and a half years ago, we, I was fresh off the trail, so I had stories of being out there with them. And uh, as we went back to France, like, so is this going to be a one-time thing or occasional thing? And uh, this is us a few years later. So the next year, Teresa ran a program, the same thing. They went to Greece, worked with refugees in Athens. In the last couple years, we've had two more. So there's been 40, 50 students gone through this LEAD program. Um, in the last couple years, we started taking old participants saying, you're going to be the instructor, and I'll walk with you through this. Um, so one particular Sunday, um, let's rewind. One of the objectives of this was to follow in Jesus' footsteps, try to do what Jesus did, practice the disciplines he did. He would go up on the mountain all night and pray. We tried that. Uh, he would serve his disciples. We tried that. Different things that Jesus modeled. Let's try that. Walk along the trail, say, wow, look at those flowers. Consider the flowers. Doesn't God care about that kind of object lessons? And so along the trail, we that was what inspired. Tried to have that be the approach, not just saying, we're going to study James, doesn't matter we're in the woods, it's just going to be James, and not just parachute information into uh, the context. So one particular Sunday, we were, Sunday morning, we did just that. We put ourselves in disciple shoes. We put on our hiking boots, uh, w walked out the door, and then a little bit later, about a half a mile down the road, opened up our Bible to Luke 24, 13, and all right, here we go, let's read, and uh, so let's, I thought we could do the same thing today. So I know we're in Colorado, so look at your feet. Who's got hiking shoes? Who's ready to go? Now, good. Yeah, this is, now the, uh, the other thing I know about Colorado, it's the land of Chacos and Tevas and et cetera. And, you know, walking in disciples' shoes, they had sandals, so you guys are good to go too. So Luke 24, 13. If you ever get lost in what I'm talking about, just remember, look at your feet right. Disciple shoes. Okay, let's do that. Starts like this. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. That very what day? What day was that very day? I'm trying to place this in the story. Does anybody know? This is interactive. I, I don't do one-way conversation. So I've been in the woods too much. That very day, anybody have their, it was the day. It was the big day. It was Easter morning, the day Jesus was resurrected, that very day. But you don't know that. You're just two disciples going for a walk, and you don't know what really happened. And we're going to try to put ourselves in their minds. What's going through their mind? We know we were trying to imagine what it was like for them, not read everything we already know about the Bible into that moment. So we're walking. We don't, we don't know that it's the biggest day in history. They walked seven miles from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. And as they were walking, they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. This is verse 13 and 14. While they were talking and discussing together, I'm curious, what was their state of mind? What were they talking about? And 
how were they talking about? If you rewind, last thing, you know the Easter story. Friday night, Jesus is crucified. The disciples are dispersed. They put him in a tomb, and then it's a Sabbath, and they're not allowed to do anything. And they're probably afraid of any kind of, oh, you're next. So they've been hiding. They've been inside. They're not allowed to walk more than a mile. They've been afraid. They've been cooped up. Cabin fever hits. These two might be the more hyperactive of the disciples saying, oh, finally, I got to get out of Dodge. I got to go for a walk. I got to. So these disciples have all that cooped up thoughts. And then as you know, as you start walking, it just starts coming out, right? Maybe it's a guy thing. You start walking, you start talking. But I think, I think girls are that way too. You start walking. They're walking and talking, probably pretty animated, going on, what is that supposed to mean? I don't, you know, and dot, dot, dot. This is where we pick up. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So it's probably eavesdropping. Okay. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? So, does this strike you as odd? It doesn't, say they, it doesn't say that Jesus made them not be able to see him. It doesn't say that it's because they had a lack of faith. It, we're not sure what it says, but Jesus didn't say, Hi, I'm Jesus, by the way. He just let, rolled with the, Okay, they don't want to recognize me. Let's see what we can pull out of this. Or maybe he was intentional about this. So Jesus was played into it. Um, what is this conversation you're holding with each other? And they, as they're walking, maybe you've realized this, is somebody dropped a bomb in the conversation, and everyone else stops, and you keep walking. It says here, and they stood still looking sad. They were walking, and suddenly they just... Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these days? That's verse 17. From which rock did you just climb out of under? Where have you been? And uh, that's when Jesus says, oh, it's Jesus. I know what's going on. Or what does he say? Those of you who have your Bibles. What things? Like, he just kind of plays into it. It's like, I don't know. You tell me. What am I supposed to? What did I miss? What things? So they stopped in their tracks. And then, as he said to one of them, as he said, what things? And this, um, verse 19. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some, of the, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of an angel who said that he was alive. What? Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Did you hear their mindset in how they answered that question. Some key words that come up. Jesus is probably taking notes. He's like, all right, let's check your theology. What do you know about me? Some things that appeared. Uh, am I on the right page here? 
skip the page or not? I didn't find it. Pardon me. Here. First verb they use, Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, past tense, delivered, crucified, okay. We had hoped that he would be the one. You can hear the doubt in their answers. Um, moreover, so they were already doubting and all that. And it's been three days, so now nothing has changed in three days. It's, it's like old news. We're just, this is just going to fade away, and it's like nothing ever happened. Verse 22, moreover, women went to the tomb, saw an angel, said he's alive, but are they just, is this their way of mourning, and they're just emotional about it, and they've seen things, and it's, I don't know what to think. They're confused. Add to their sorrow, melancholy. They were pretty transparent in what they said to this stranger. They're pretty heartfelt, like, this is what we felt, all these things. And so Jesus said, good for you, way to be honest. Why I really feel you're being transparent. Good for you, let's work with that. And is that what Jesus said? No. Like, here comes the right hand coming at you. He said to them, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. What? Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? This stranger just lit them up after they spilled honestly what they felt. I think he had their attention. Whatever he was going to say next, they were going to hear. Do you agree? And um, we're going to pause in that story. So we did a training weekend, and that's what that picture is from, for these lead instructors. That had been participants, some had been instructors that we followed, some were new, were going to be this summer. And it was Easter. Teresa and I and our French friend Chile that I mentioned earlier were discussing what, what are we going to, what's the content going to be this weekend that we're going to train leaders with. We know we're going to talk about soft skills like listening skills and things that you need to have as an instructor, but what spiritual, scriptural passage, what would work, what would be best, what would they need to hear? And finally, it was like, right, well, it's lead. Let's follow in Jesus' footsteps. Let's kind of do what Jesus would do and take what comes. It's Easter weekend. How about an Easter story? Wait, there's one that involves hiking. That sounds right up our alley. All right, Emmaus Road experience. We used what was available and not parachute something else. So as we walked and discussed two by two, each one of these these, these students were talking back and forth as if they were disciples. You know, and then he said this. What is that supposed to mean? And they, it's amazing if you spend time thinking about it and talking two by two how much stuff comes out that you didn't know you kind of had in you that, wow, he said this in the Bible. How come? So that's what we're going to do now, right? Turn to your neighbor and take 20 minutes. Talk. Well, he told me I only have seven more minutes, so that's probably not good. But... These disciples, back to their story, probably had plenty of moments where they, Jesus is talking and they're going, making eye contact with each other. Are you getting this? Are you hearing what he's saying? Kind of. So what we're going to do is you put that mindset on and you're going to look straight into your neighbor's eyes and you're going to get that. Are you hearing this? You know, because, you know, 90% of communication is not verbal. It's like these disciples had to be going... Why did he say that? I don't know. Where, you know, that kind of communication. But that's 
We're walking two by two, and then we um, imagine what these disciples are going through, and then we got to a spot where we didn't want to imagine anymore. Verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then we were just jealous. Like, I can't keep up. You know, imagine what Jesus would have said. But he explained the whole Bible right there as they walked for two hours. I wish, I wish, I wish I was there. Maybe it would be the same for you. Um, so we did what we could. I know you guys are experts on Isaiah, eight weeks of Isaiah. You Things are coming to mind. Oh, wait, Isaiah, there were things. So we read Isaiah 53 at one point and tried to piece it together, but we were lacking. I wish my friend Tom Blanchard, who's a missionary with us, who's Hebrew scholar, Old Testament professor at the Bible school, was like, why is Tom when you need him to kind of do something close? But uh, we did our best, and uh, we kind of nodded and read, and some of the passages that might have come out, like Isaiah 53, 3, he was despised and rejected by men. He's kind of in reading that chapter, some popped out. A man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. So, all these things. He's explaining, wish I was there. So these disciples drew near, this is verse 28, to the village to which they were going. And he... Uh, the stranger, Jesus, acted as if you're, he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went and stayed with him. Jesus is still not saying, Oh, by the way, I was Jesus. I'll see you later. And walking away. He's still playing into this, letting them be proper, hospitable uh, neighbors to the stranger. Oh, come on, stay with us. It's nighttime. It's dangerous. These streets are, are dangerous. And then, verse 30 and 31. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And they had deja vu like never before. Because last time they saw him, like he's breaking bread, wine, Jesus. Like, whoa, that was Thursday night last week. Who? Ooh, it's him. Blink, he's gone. They recognized him. His eyes were open. They recognized him. And then he vanished. So this is where the two disciples probably look at each other in the eyes like, oh my goodness, I imagine. Oh, that would probably be light on the words. They kind of, whatever, if they were teenagers, it would be all sorts of words that would come out. Uh, they probably just went, dude, something like that maybe. <laughs> and he vanished. And Verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures. It's like that stare. It's like, I never do that. They're kind of, are you recording this? Are you taking notes? Because I will forget next week. No, he's in there staring at each other. I'm sorry, I keep staring over here, but there's a disciple, imaginary disciple staring me in the eyes right there. So, And why'd he vanish? They probably realized real quick, oh, he answered that question all day. That one was answered. That he told us all the answers. That's the type of learning that when you're doing experiential education, you're hoping will happen. You have your eyes out for the, aha, the light came on, my eyes were open. And same thing with discipleship. Did you get it? Did you get it? Did you get it? I explained the gospel to you. Like, and then the light comes on. 
And we discussed at one hiking break with our instructors, like, oh, right, have you seen that? Yes, the light goes on. There's nothing more rewarding than this. And that's what we're looking for when God opens eyes, but also when it clicks, something clicks. They have a French word for it. I don't know if it comes from robbing safes or something. There's a de-click. When it goes click, it's just like the safe will open now. I don't know where that expression comes from, but it clicked. That weekend, we saw a new generation of instructors catching the vision for making disciples using these tools, letting Jesus' model, not telling them without having it come together themselves as Jesus, as the Holy Spirit opens eyes. Uh, he used, Jesus used experiential learning, I'm sure of that, and his example. All during those days, that day, these two disciples were hungry for comprehension. They had all these questions, and they received plenty of information, but that information did not truly transform them until their eyes were opened and they realized who had been talking to them. Maybe you've been able, you haven't been able to see what God's been doing. It's been kind of blur, confused, days. Why are you leaving me in this limbo? God's timing. But maybe that's not a bad thing to be. He's setting the stage for something. Do we not long for feeling of our hearts burning inside of us as these disciples experienced? Um, I'm pretty sure these disciples would have been in awe and dazed or distracted with millions of questions for Jesus had he had they recognized him right off the bat, beginning the walk. Oh, come on. I had 12 questions. Come on. It's like, and they would have missed out on some two key things had they recognized him from the get-go. First of all is Christ wouldn't have interpreted the whole Bible to them what it talks about me. Second, Christ modeled to them that they are to use the scriptures to point to him. Christ knew that they needed the information, but they also needed his example to go with the realization that he is alive, he is resurrected. Those pieces go together. Knowledge, even of the scriptures, is only useful when it's allowed to transform us or used by God to transform us. So here's my last two questions. What relationship to the scriptures do you think Jesus wanted for his disciples? It was Easter morning, but it wasn't until Easter evening that their Easter morning happened. As they realized for the first time the greatest event in history, that Christ was risen, had vi uh, victory over death, the first thing that came to mind is how he had opened the scriptures with them. With grace, the Bible is right there. It's like, first thing I want you to think about, go to the source, God's word. What relationship to the scriptures does Christ want for us? A living relationship with the living word of God. So this past Easter, these new instructors and us trainers, we all walked home, went home renewed in our relationship to God's word and trying to make it live, transform. Shouldn't we allow God to do that same thing every time we open God's word? Those disciples said, well, aren't our hearts burning inside of us? Uh, God, give us heartburn." When we open your word, it's like, oh, I have hype burning. It's a good thing, right? Maybe that's a reminder. Um, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your victory over death, your gift of life, of grace, all those things. But 
Uh, I love how you use all them together and how you use your scriptures to guide us and point to you. I pray, Lord, that as we read and uh, that our hearts would burn uh, as you speak to us and as we dig in the word. Uh, I ask forgiveness for those mornings when I get my chapter read and fly through Isaiah 12 uh, it's like nothing happened. And uh, I pray, I ask for us, for me, uh, give us heartburn. 